This episode of Untold Stories, Life with a Severe Autoimmune Condition is brought to you by Argenix, a global immunology company committed to improving the lives of people living with severe autoimmune conditions. At Argenix, we listen to patients, caregivers, and advocacy communities to align their aspirations with our innovations in pursuit of a better tomorrow. We welcome this opportunity to honor our commitment by sharing the untold stories of our guests. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Untold Stories, Life with Myasthenia Gravis, a podcast from iHeartRadio in partnership with Argenix. I'm your host, Martine Hackett. I'm an associate professor and director of public health programs at Hofstra University. And as a researcher, professor, and public health expert, I've spent my career studying the complex realities of healthcare disparities and the diverse barriers people face. In this podcast, I'm speaking with real people living with myasthenia gravis, commonly known as MG. Every person with MG has a unique story to tell. By uncovering real life with MG, we will expand the conversation around this condition and its disproportionate effect on underserved communities. In each episode, we'll explore how each MG journey is unique and powerful in its own way. We'll also share tips on self-advocacy and discuss the role community and caregivers play in the lives of people living with MG. With the daunting road ahead after diagnosis, learning how to self-advocate can make a big difference when navigating life with MG. Whether exploring treatment options or understanding how life will change after diagnosis, the MG journey can involve a lot of adjustment and support along the way. Our guest today, Jessica, is a digital marketing specialist who was diagnosed with MG at age 27 when she was pregnant with her second child. Managing the hurdles and fears of these major life events, Jessica had to self-advocate for her needs while navigating how her diagnosis would affect her life and her pregnancy. Thankfully, she found a supportive community through social media that helped her and her family find a path forward in life with MG. Jessica's diagnosis caused her to slow down, but it also inspired her to become more firmly rooted in her identity and community. Today, she is joined by her husband, Jonathan, who has been by her side every step of the way in adjusting to their new reality. Learning to be an active caregiver and advocate, Jonathan experiences life with MG from his own unique perspective. And whether you are advocating for yourself or a loved one, Jonathan and Jessica are a testament to the importance of building a strong foundation so that you can navigate the challenges that come along the MG journey. Hi, Jessica and Jonathan. I really appreciate you two giving us your time today to talk about this topic. Jessica, you've had a very unique diagnosis story because you found out you had MG during your pregnancy. Can you walk us through that experience? What was going on in your mind at that time? Yeah, it was very overwhelming. We were really excited. And then at the same time, I was experiencing all these symptoms and as the symptoms were progressing, it was very difficult to maintain my hope and joy that even though we were going to enter into a season of having two kiddos and all the joy of that, it was um, at the same time very challenging to see how we would manage. And what were some of the specific symptoms you were experiencing before you got your diagnosis? Yeah, so it started with double vision and I think stayed with double vision for about a month or two and then progressed to weakness and started like with my neck. So I couldn't hold my neck up very well and doing simple tasks like loading the dishwasher, 
I couldn't lift a plate onto the shelf, brushing my teeth, things like that suddenly became very difficult. And could you talk a little bit more about what were some of the things that you had to encounter to get to the diagnosis? Yeah. So it first started because with the double vision. So I went to an optometrist and I actually went to several optometrists that we couldn't figure out my prescription. Every prescription they gave, my vision was still blurry. So eventually I went to one optometrist who said, why don't you go see an ophthalmologist? And when I went there, they put an ice pack on my eye. I think it's some sort of test for MG. And from there, they recommended me to go to a neurologist. And with the neurologist, they did a blood test. And at first, actually, it came out negative with MG because I was musk positive. And so they had to do additional tests to find out that I had musk MG. It was, for me, I'm grateful. It was relatively quick. It happened in the span of maybe a month to truly get to the diagnosis. And so from there, I chose a neurologist who was more familiar with the musk MG. Jonathan, what went through your mind when Jessica started to be affected by these symptoms? I think what Jessica talked about, you know, the feeling of both celebration of, you know, we're having a daughter, also just fear. And it was this slow sort of realization, our lives will never be the same. And what did showing up for her look like for you then? And how did that evolve as she was going through this diagnosis? It started with a feeling like, okay, we we need to change things. You know, how can I support her just in terms of logistics, emotionally, and all these other things? And it was sort of overwhelming at first. But I think one thing that we realized was when people understand that there's something going on that's more than just sort of the normal, hey, how are you doing? It becomes this opportunity for them to sort of say like, hey, let me help you guys. At first we thought, you know, this is something that we need to handle. We need to figure out together. And what we didn't realize was there's so many more people in that together who started to help and offer that support that I think was vital for us to get to where she is today. It's definitely uncomfortable. I think especially because Jess and I are Asian. So that figures a lot into the context of like, how do we ask for help without actually revealing that we need help, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so there's a complicated sort of thing in vulnerability, I think, in in our culture as well. Mm -hmm. And speaking of being vulnerable, Jessica, being pregnant at that time, which is obviously stressful on its own, you mentioned some of the symptoms that you had about the muscle weakness and the double vision. Did any of those affect your pregnancy or impact your pregnancy? Yeah, I think when we first planned being pregnant and I had envisioned like this beautiful like summer pregnancy, like (laughs) going out wearing dresses and just enjoying this because we only wanted two children. And so enjoying this like last pregnancy and really savoring every moment. And when I was diagnosed with MG, it just completely turned that on its head. And I spent most days just in bed barely getting up to eat. And the pandemic hit during that time as well. And so definitely was different than how I envisioned it. I think what was surprising to me was when I was admitted to the ICU, they only prioritized me. And so I was like, oh, but I want to like prioritize my baby. But they just wanted to make sure that like I was safe and to save me. And so I think that was difficult for me to process as well that like, In order to preserve my health, that might mean 
I could lose my baby. And so navigating those things as well was really difficult. Wow. And I'm sure, obviously, this was not usual for your physicians either, right? Mm -hmm. And so for them, did you feel that they had a firm grasp on how to handle your condition? I think there was a lot of me like preparing myself because I wasn't sure how prepared they were for my case because like MG is so rare that I don't think many of them had encountered the situation before. I mean, I could sense like some excitement and like, oh, this is new and different. Like I want to learn and be able to help you. But at the same time, there was like fear in my mind because I'm like, do you know how to help me? Do you know what (laughs) drugs to avoid? Um, And so I definitely wanted to make sure that I did as much research as I could. In the end, we did come across some issues. And I think now I know how to be better prepared for the future. Well, it sounds like just navigating that process of pregnancy and this new diagnosis that that informed your self-advocacy. And so what was that process of, like you just mentioned, about, you know, doing your own research and sort of finding your own voice in working with the medical professionals and particularly postpartum? Yeah, it started from the beginning of my journey of just finding out about this diagnosis. Like I right away went to look for all the resources that I could, myasthenia.org, and tried to plug into as many support groups as I could. And through that, I met someone who actually had MuskMG as well. And that was very helpful. But myasthenia.org has a list of all the cautionary drugs and a lot of different resources. So when I went to the dentist, I printed out the whole sheet for them. And I think that's something that I'll continue to do is having that list on the back of my mind. I think in terms of like the pregnancy specifically, when I gave birth, actually, they ended up giving me a drug that was contraindicated to MG. And the last minute it was an emergency C-section and it was already very traumatic. And at the end, I felt my throat closing up and I was like, what is going on? And later I found out I had to be admitted to the ICU again because I went into a flare and I found out that they had given me one of those drugs that was contraindicated. And so postpartum learning how to advocate for myself and calling the hospital and negotiating with that bill that became very high because of the ICU visit. (laughs) It was definitely a learning experience of like, I need to be able to stand up for myself. I need to be able to be educated and know what I'm getting into. Jessica, I want to go back to what you talked about, an incident where you said you had to be cautious and advocate for yourself and your baby in terms of the treatments that were given to you. What happened in that situation and how did you handle it when this was happening? Yeah, I think with pregnancy, there's not too many options that you have. And so I really wanted to protect my baby and make sure that we had, I had a safe pregnancy and healthy pregnancy. And I really prioritized that. It was difficult because, of course, there are the more aggressive drugs that will help me feel better. I think it almost felt like choosing between like the lesser evil, you know, having to figure out which drugs to try, what to go with. Specifically in the ICU at that time, because I couldn't breathe well, I was going into respiratory failure. And so I really had no choice and no energy to kind of fight. And so I just tried to make my wishes known as much as I could. And they tried to accommodate me, but in the end, everything 
worked out. So I'm grateful. And I think for me, it felt empowering because I was taking my health into my own hands. I was looking for my own options. I was trying to make the best decision for myself. Jonathan, let me ask you, what were some of your biggest fears as you were moving through this journey? Yeah, we just had our son and now we're having a daughter. When you first become a parent, it's this crazy thing where I think the dad is still figuring out, you know, how do we be useful when the mom is like (laughs) superwoman? There's only so much that I can understand about what Jess is going through. I knew she couldn't see well, she couldn't drive. So the things that I could see in front of me were like, okay, how do I make sure that we get our kids to where they need to go? How do I make sure that I can help her get as much rest as she needs to reduce as much stress as possible? But I think hearing Jess talk about it, coming out of this, Jess has been somebody who's just been much more like, okay, this is what we need as a family. This is what I need as a person. And it's been a lot healthier just in terms of our relationship. Well, and also it seems like you stepped up too in terms of seeing like, where are the places that I can be useful here? Yeah, absolutely. Also, Jessica, you mentioned in one of your blog posts about something of a role reversal that you had in your marriage and having to adjust your own expectations. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm wondering how your experience within your marriage impacts your outlook on how you deal with MG and the other aspects of your life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think before MG, I was a very controlling perfectionist type of person and Having been diagnosed with MG, I really had to break down all of my (laughs) expectations and the ways that I wanted things done and realize that, you know, as long as we're alive, the kids are alive, (laughs) everything's okay. Like, I don't have to have a neat home all the time. I don't have to have everything planned and scheduled perfectly. And that actually gives me a lot of calm and peace knowing that, you know, everything's going to be okay. I don't need to have everything perfect all the time. And I think I was able to really see John in a new light too, seeing how hard he was trying to really take care of me and how well he was doing with that. And that's really changed our marriage and the way that we take care of our kids and parent now. I think it's much more balanced and less stress on my end, knowing that all of those expectations, they really were a barrier, I think, to our connection. And so being more grateful has helped in our relationship and just appreciating one another for what we're doing more. That's wonderful. John, I'd love to hear your take on this. Um, (laughs) How do you feel that your perspective has changed with your marriage? So I've always seen sort of Jess as a wonder woman (laughs) who's able to do like so much, just so much determination. And to see sort of MG, it's almost like you become a shell of yourself, especially during the flare-ups. And that was a big shock of like, okay, well, somebody who has really been supporting our entire family. Now, a lot of that responsibility, it's like, I need to take care of her and I need to make sure that as much as I can to alleviate her stress, which I didn't do perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's something where I think I've changed as well, just in terms of, okay, I need to become more aware of like, here are the things that Jess is concerned about. Here's what really stresses her out. What can I do to clean the house? You know, what can I do to make sure the kids don't bother her when she needs to rest? So I think there was a period of about a year where I slept with the kids just to make sure that if they had anything, that they could come to me first and wake me up to make sure that Jess had the recovery period that was necessary. 
I think it changed me as a person. And I think it showed Jess, you know, things can be okay, even if the worst case scenario in her mind happens. We're still alive. Everything's still okay by the end of the day. I think that that created the space, I think, for us to have the gratitude of like, okay, we can be with our kids. We can have crazy things happen that we think would have destroyed us, right? But actually, it's just things that continue to build the relationship and keep going. We'll be back with more Untold Stories, Life with Myasthenia Gravis, after a quick break. As a global immunology company committed to improving the lives of people suffering from severe autoimmune diseases, Argenics is dedicated to partnering with advocacy organizations, including the Myasthenia Gravis Foundation of Michigan, or MG-MI, and the Myasthenia Gravis Association of Western Pennsylvania, or MGA-WPA, in support of the MG community. MGMI is committed to finding a cure for MG, improving treatment options, and providing information and support to people with MG across the state of Michigan through research, education, community programs, and advocacy. To learn more about the MGMI, visit www.mg-mi.org. The MGA-WPA strives to address the medical, social, and emotional needs of all persons affected by MG throughout Western Pennsylvania and provides educational information to those living with this rare disorder, as well as their families, the medical community, and the general public. The MGA-WPA is offering patients and their families an opportunity to share their stories through the My MG Story program. If you'd like to participate, visit www.mgawpa.org slash community. And now, back to Untold Stories, Life with Myasthenia Gravis. Jonathan, what are you doing to take care of yourself as you are going through all of this? It's interesting. We started to delve really into like self-exploration as well, because we found that we were changing as people. And so we wanted to understand the Enneagram was a really valuable tool in understanding. So there, there's basically these nine different personality types, and it's a way of understanding your personality, how you react to certain people, how you react to certain types, and then also how you grow in your type. So one thing that Jess realized was that she thought she was a Nagram 2, but she was actually a Nagram 3. So a Nagram 2 is somebody who serves, a Nagram 3 is somebody who achieves, which is about, okay, I want to get these goals. I want to present myself, you know? And so what we realized was it seemed like, okay, she wanted to serve and like she found joy in that. It was like, actually, that's not as fulfilling as being a role model, being inspiring to other people. So my relationship to her changed before it was like, okay, how can I facilitate her serving people to how can I facilitate her to developing a platform for inspiring, for meeting people, but that totally set things into place of like, okay, these are things that she needs to have in order to grow and to thrive as you know somebody who achieves. And for me, I'm a seven, which is an enthusiast. So I just like to experience things and I like to have fun. And so I feel like for me, I know how to take care of myself to a fault. <laughs> and I think it was really about stepping outside of that bubble and knowing that, okay, there's actually deeper things than just, do I feel 
good? Do I feel peaceful in this moment? Do I feel satisfied in this moment? It's about how is my family feeling? How is Jess feeling? How do I make sure that I'm there for her? Because ultimately that's what creates that kind of happiness for our entire family for the long term. Jessica, you're still also too an ambitious working mother, (laughs) right? How were you able to reclaim your professional life um, while dealing with MG and raising your kids? Yeah, I think that's still a journey that I'm on. I'm really grateful because during the time when I was coming out of a lot of the symptoms and was doing better, I reached out and got a remote operations kind of role at a nonprofit. And so that was about 20 hours a week. I worked from home. I didn't need to drive. (laughs) And also it was flexible. I've been in that role for two years. And actually at the end of last year, I started a digital marketing bootcamp. And so I think that was one step into doing something different for myself because I had lost like my mid-20s, I feel like, where a lot of my friends were building up their careers. I feel like I wanted to reclaim that. And so it's been a journey and finding success along the way has helped me feel like that reclaiming of purpose and passion. And so, yeah, I think I'm just going to continue doing my best and we'll see where it leads. Yeah. And it sounds like it's just also your sense of discovering things that you, again, might not have thought that you would were going to be end up doing, mm-hmm. which obviously is an important piece here as you're kind of navigating this in addition to navigating life as a young mother, a mother of young children. How do you explain your diagnosis to them? Yeah. With my son, I think he does remember. And with my daughter, I'm not sure that she remembers because She was so young at the time when I was really, really sick. But I think when I do explain when I'm tired or things like that, I just, I tell them like, mommy's really tired. I really need to rest. There was a time before when mommy was really sick. Do you remember that? And trying to remind them that it is like a part of my journey. It is still a part of something that I'm fighting. And so I think like being able to explain to them in ways that they do understand right now. And later on, maybe I can give them the bigger picture. I think that's so important just with kids to be able to realize that this is something that they're a part of as a family unit. And that sounds like a really great approach that you're taking to me. Thank you. When you started to share about your MG journey, you mentioned that you started doing some writing and connecting with others when you first got diagnosed on social media. How did you find that community? And how did that change your outlook about your MG diagnosis? Yeah. When I first was doing all the research and finding the support groups, there was actually a support group that was really close to my work. And so I went after work, I walked there and was able to meet actually someone around my age, also a woman. And so we connected right away and she had um, generalized MG and She was very active in the MG community and she would organize like the MG walk in San Francisco. And so I think being connected with her really helped me. And we ended up meeting and grabbing lunch one day. And I just remember like laying on my couch and she totally got it. My eyes were weak. I had no energy after our lunch and I just laid there and she just sat with me. And I think having those experiences with people who really get it. It's just so meaningful because it can feel like so lonely, 
when no one immediate to you can truly understand. And so finding those people who you can really connect with, I think is so important. And so that was one way, finding her through the support group. And then through social media, I was very vocal about my MG diagnosis and journey. And so through that, finding other people through like the hashtag, tagging my posts, and then looking through the hashtag MyCenaGravis itself, finding other advocates. I think it was really um, helpful and we were able to DM each other and I could ask questions. And so finding support groups also on Facebook, there's a lot of Facebook groups that are specific to the different types of MG as well. Like I joined a Musk group, but reading through all of those posts and connecting with people online, I think is a great way if you are unable to, you know, get outside to still have that community. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, how else, you know, if you think about it, what did we do before that, you know, to be able to find people with this rare disease and not only to just connect, but it actually is providing some very tangible support for you. Yeah. Do you feel that this also helped you be a better advocate? For sure. I think seeing what other people were sharing and the questions people had and the different answers that people had as well and the different resources people would share was always really helpful. With the support group, they go through different topics with different neurologists. And so I think that was always cool to see like what new research was coming out and what people were interested in and the different trials that were happening. And even more specifically, were you able to connect with other Asian American people living with MG? Yeah. So actually the girl that I had met at that support group was Asian American as well. And so it just felt like this really divine thing where we just connected on so many levels. And I'm really grateful having that community and vulnerability to reach out and have communities important. Absolutely. And for both of you, having learned so much throughout Jessica's MG journey, um, how has your view and approach to advocacy changed since that initial diagnosis? Yeah, I think knowing like with everything that I went through, I definitely recommend like people who are newly diagnosed to be educated, to spend time doing research, to find all those resources. And there are so many out there to be prepared for different appointments that you have and yeah, know how to advocate for not only like your health in terms of like your physical health, but also like your mental health. I feel like everything is so intertwined, like physical, mental, spiritual, they all affect one another. I could feel it in my body, like especially when I was really sick, how stress could trigger a flare. And so knowing like your boundaries, yeah, I think it's really important. And I feel like as sort of the spouse who hasn't had the illness, but is trying to understand, I think a lot of it is about when people don't understand much about an illness, I think there's a lot of space that you need to create around I think that creating that buffer of like, okay, Jess has social needs. Let's figure out how to fulfill them to help her feel like part of a community while also not exposing too much. You know, it just allows her to control that space and create that buffer for her. So if you guys could go back uh, to when you were first diagnosed, Jessica, um, what would you say to yourself? I think I was so overwhelmed and fearful at the time that even just something like everything will be okay. I know it sounds generic, but that this is not like the end, that there is hope. And I think to lean in to the support and community that you have around you 
because I was so afraid of so many things that, you know, it was difficult for me to really let go and not completely stress myself out over every single question that I had. And so I think everything will be okay. Lean in to your support. Jonathan, anything you would say to yourself if uh, you could go back? Yeah, I think what Jess was saying, everything's going to be okay. There's just so much uncertainty about something that is so rare. But, you know, there's a lot of really great research going on, especially with the internet. There's a lot of people out there who are struggling with the same thing. And the world is a lot friendlier than I think we we first started out with. Wonderful. So I really appreciate, Jessica and John, your time and just how honest and forthright you were in this conversation. And I know that the information that you share today will be helpful and continues to be helpful to people with MG. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I so appreciate Jessica and John for their candor and openness during our conversation. For many women, learning to self-advocate can be a very daunting and hard task. But navigating her MG journey and empowering her husband along the way, Jessica's story and strength are truly inspiring. John has such a valued and unique perspective as someone who is living with MG by way of loving and caring for his wife. It's so important to remember that these rare conditions are also impacting the lives of family and friends who love those living with them. The way that John has learned to take on more responsibilities and step up for his family is reflective of the sort of community we all hope to build with our lives. They are truly a powerful couple as shown through their resolve to strengthen their marriage as it was tested along the way. Don't forget to join us every other week to hear more powerful stories of life with MG. Untold Stories, Life with Myasthenia Gravis was produced by iHeartRadio in partnership with Argenix and Closer Look and hosted by me, Martine Hackett. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of post-production is Matt Stillo. And our producer is Sierra Kaiser. This episode was written and produced by Tyree Rush. 